right. Good evening, everybody. You doing okay? I'm about well done. Why don't you go ahead and stand as we open up tonight. Thank you for being with us online. Uh, glad that you've tuned in tonight. I, did br- I do bring a little bit of good news. I saw tonight where they were saying that uh, we have seen the peak of the hot temperatures. And it will actually, well, well we, we clap, but, but it's going to be 103 instead of 108. So you might want to break out your winter jackets and uh, <laughs> get, ready, get ready for that. But uh, no, thank God for, look, everywhere, beautiful day. It's, it is hot. And anyway, I'm glad heaven is going to be 70 degrees, no humidity, I, uh, and, a, and a Krispy Kreme on every corner. We're good. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, tonight we're so grateful to be able to come together and study your word. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, I thank you that, Lord, we just have that privilege to come and, and to study your word. And I just pray tonight that you would be with us in a very special way. Lord, I pray for each person that's here, each one that's tuned in online tonight. Uh, God, I just ask that no matter where, what's going on in our life tonight, that we would just pause for the next uh, little bit and that we would focus on you, Lord. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Father, we just pray that as we concentrate on you, Lord, as we focus on you, that the things of this world grow strangely dim. Uh, in the light of your glory and your grace. I pray, Father, for those that need a healing touch tonight, that you would grant that. Those that need some encouragement, that you would encourage them. Lord, for those that need finances, Lord, we just thank you that no matter what that situation is and that need is, Lord, you're more than enough. We pray, Father, for those that are still traveling, Lord, your hand of protection and mercy be upon them and bring them home safely. And uh, for those that are out in this element, Lord, I pray, God, that you would put your hand of protection upon each one. And, Lord, all across the campus tonight, Lord, be exalted in each ministry, Lord, that's, uh, that's going on tonight, be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts. Let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit this service to you now. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. God bless you. you. may be seated tonight. Go ahead and turn with me once again to the book of First John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. While you're turning there, a couple of announcements. Number one, tomorrow is, our, is the senior luncheon, and if you haven't noticed, we are... Um, in a renovation phase right now, trying to trying to get that was the last of 1995, the kitchen and the bathrooms um, in the Family Life Center, and so we are we, we've been talking about it now for probably probably four years, uh, maybe longer than that. But we finally bit the bullet, and so uh, the kitchen's not available over there. The bathrooms aren't. We do have plenty of bathrooms, however. But for tomorrow, seniors' luncheon, bring your sack lunch. Or box lunch, box lunch, whatever. Run by Chick Fil A, uh, you know, make a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Uh, but come on out for a great time. Landon Hall is going to be speaking. One of our teenagers. I know that you really will enjoy. Um, isn't he doing his message that he did for fine arts for? Okay, <laughs> I can see him lining mom and dad up on the couch. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's going on tomorrow, and then I was reminded to just say no early service on Sunday uh, and then lunch following service um, next Tuesday, Tuesday Thursday. A <laughs> uh, week from tomorrow is our next food distribution, and if you could help me out, pray for an overcast. We've been, pr- we've been pretty fortunate this summer in that we've had some overcast guys and the weather has not been really unbearable, um, and so I'm praying that we might finish out the summer in a, in a good place. But anyway, that happens next week, and um, thank you for all that you do uh, for the kingdom. Uh, we were able to give away about 100, and we had 148 pairs of tennis shoes um, that uh, we were able to give away beginning on Sunday, and, and I think we have a few left that we're going to give to another ministry, but... Uh, Making an impact in the community. I, I appreciate that so much. And really, that's what it's all about. You know, sometimes, you know, it's like uh, many of you know, I, I've, I've done a lot of work with my role as a disaster relief coordinator for North Texas. Um, I've done a lot of stuff with Convoy of Hope. And I'll never forget one video that they showed many, many years ago. And it was a little girl in the Philippines. One of the things about Convoy, they have feeding programs in a lot of third world countries. I've, I've served in Haiti. Uh, I've served lunch to students in schools. And uh, this little girl was in the Philippines. She was getting lunch from Convoy of Hope. It was one of their feeding sites. 
and they were interviewing her, and a little girl, I'll never forget what she said. She said, uh, it is easier, she said, my ears are open when my belly is full. And I thought, wow, wow. You know, sometimes, you know, the tangible things that are being done have an impact greater than anything we might even tell them. So, again, thank you for being a church that loves to serve. Um, it's a unique thing in our community, and I appreciate that. Anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. We're, again, continuing on with our study, Blessed Assurance. Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about love not the world. Love not the world. So uh, let's begin in verse number 12. Chapter 2, verse number 12. John writes, he said, I write to you little children, and you had pardon me, I think something's trying to get on me, so y'all pray it off of me. <laughs> Uh, said, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, <coughs> because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God is, abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Again, as we get into this study, we have a couple more weeks as we go through the, uh, or a few more weeks as we go through the rest of First John and uh, again, John, I, I'll say this every week just as a reminder, John, John is an old man. He's an old, he's an old man, um, somewhere in his 80s, 90s. He's the last disciple of Jesus to be alive. And, and so he's writing this letter, it's a general letter, to challenge believers to remain grounded. Boy, wouldn't it be appropriate today to have that same type of writing? He's writing them to be grounded um, amid all of the false doctrines that had come into the church. So again, as I've said before, this is at, his, at the time of his writing, they are, the church is about three, two to three generations old. And as is the normal, uh, you know, as things go on, it's so easy um, to, for things to change, for heresy and, and, and false doctrine. And so that's kind of what's going on. So he writes kind of a, a two-prong. He's writing um, to remind them. One of the things that he does is he reminds them of things that they can be certain on. And how he does that is he confronts these false teachings that had infiltrated the church. So he's reminding them that, hey, your faith is not a fable. Your faith is not a myth. Your faith is rooted in historical facts. And, and, and again, I always, uh, not, not amused, but, but I'm saddened that of the ignorance of a lot of people today, they want to they dispute things that are historically accurate. You know, that you can actually go to places, you can see things. Uh, the evidence is there for anybody who's willing to look. Now, again, in our text, John, uh, and I love how he writes, he starts out uh, and says, I write to you, dear, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And, and so we, we, we go through that little, little bit of that little passage there. And, and so I, don't, I, don't, I can't even talk tonight, pardon me. I want to unpack, first of all, the first section and then we'll unpack verses 15 through 17 um, tonight. But there are a couple things that stick out in this, or in this portion of Scripture. Um, the first thing that sticks out to me is as John's writing, this, this seems to be filled with personal encouragement. It's like a, how many of you ever had a coach that, that excelled in encouragement? You know, if you, have, if you had a, a coach or, or a mentor that, that cheered you on, uh, that, that's kind of what John's doing. Again, he's writing to a group of people that had the church had been in, in, infiltrated with false doctrines. He's reminding them that your faith is steadfast and sure, that it's built on historical fact, and you're okay. And so he encourages them. And uh, as he's writing to encourage them, one of the things that he does, it, he employs a writing technique called repetition. Okay, so he writes using repetition to emphasize his point. So notice in our reading how many times he said, I write to you because. I write to you because. That's a repetition. And I used to have a, a professor that would say, if, if I, you know, it's almost like 
you know, he would do – actually, he would do this. He would stomp, and you knew if he stomped, that was something that was going to – you're going to see later in a test. You know, you had to pay attention. Um, and so that's kind of what he's doing. I write you – I write to you because. And, and I believe that what he writes in these verses, uh, again, he says, I write to you little children. I write, I write to you young men. I write to you fathers. Now, what is he talking about? Well, I believe that what he's doing is he is making a reference to the different stages of spiritual maturity. He, he's outlining the maturation process. Um, spiritual maturity is not an automatic process. You know, biological uh, growth is, is biological. It's, it's programmed by our creator that if you have an infant that, that's born that weighs, you know, seven pounds, eight ounces, 21 inches long, and you feed that baby and you take care of that baby, that baby's going to grow. And there is a natural process. They go from, from infant to uh, they go into the toddler stage. And then they go into the, uh, you know, I don't know what to call them anymore, but pre-adolescence and then the teenage phase and then young adult and things like that. They're, it's a natural thing. Not so with spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is not something that's just automatic. Just because somebody's been in the church for 50 years doesn't mean they're mature. Doesn't, doesn't mean that at all. So, uh, so this, again, he, if you follow John's thoughts, every one of us starts out the same. We should grow through all three phases. Now, there are some scholars and commentators who, who believe that there's only two categories, but I believe he's talking about three. And so let's kind of look at that through the lens of me believing there's three categories. Number one, he's talking to the spiritually young. Notice in verse 12, I write to you, dear children, this, this translation says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And then in, later on he writes, I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. Now, this would be the first step of spiritual maturity. And at this stage, two things are important, okay? And, and John points them out. Number one is forgiveness of sin. How many know you can't be part of the family of God without having forgiveness, so, so forgiveness is a foundational truth or a defining characteristic of a child of God. What differentiates a child of God from, uh, from children of the world? We've been forgiven. That's it. We're not, we're not better than anybody else. We've just been forgiven. And so John uh, just kind of notes that, you know, annotates that, hey, you, you've experienced forgiveness. That's stage one. That's part of stage one of spiritual maturity. And notice that it says that our sins have been forgiven, not might be or maybe. They have been forgiven, and they've been forgiven on account of his name. So, again, John's reminding them that Jesus died on the cross in our place, taking our punishment so that our sins could be forgiven. I love what Psalm 32 said, blessed is the man or blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered Happy are those who are forgiven. Amen. Listen, I don't care what's wrong in life. If you know that the slate's clean before God, happy. Happy are you. It's important. And then the second thing, not only do we have forgiveness, we have family. Family. Uh, in, in human terms, there's only two ways to become part of the family. And that is, number one, to be born, or number two, to be adopted into it. And so here, John uh, it's a cool thing because, you know, we become a member of God's family. We are born, uh, we're born into it through the new birth, John 3, 3, and we're adopted by God the Father, Romans 8, 15. So that's stage one. Stage one of, a spirit, of the spiritual maturity journey is the young believer, okay, the spiritually, uh, the spiritually young. That, that is the first phase. Then you get to the second phase, and that is the spiritually growing. So again, Spiritual maturity is not natural. It, it's not an automatic process. It is, a pro, it is a process. So you go from spiritually young to spiritually growing. So notice verse 13. Here's what John he writes. He said, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. Now, that's interesting. So phase one we see two things pointed out in his verses. Now, in stage two, there are three things that he points out. Number one, you have overcome the evil one. 
You're growing in your faith. You have overcome the evil one. Again, uh, this is something that has already happened. Notice they have overcome. Boy, that's a, power, that's a powerful truism in today's culture because there's so many people today that feel like they don't have the strength to fight against the devil, but that's not what the Bible teaches. John said, you have overcome the evil one. So biblically understood, we have the victory over Satan. How? Because of what Jesus has already done. That's how we have the victory. You know, I'm not waiting for victory. I have the victory through Christ. In chapter 4, verse 4, John says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. Again, you have overcome the evil one. We, listen, we need to wear our spiritual armor at all times. Satan uh, is out to discourage and deceive and, and to derail us. What did Peter say he was? He was a, like a roaring lion doing what? Wanting to devour us. Wanting to devour us. He, another thing he said, not only are, have you overcome the evil one, he said you're strong. You are strong. Young and growing believers are strong in the strength of the Lord. I love seeing that process where, where you're learning truths. And, 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 I, and, and the fact, the Bible, the way the Bible is written is that the more you study, the more you read, the more you understand. You know, again, one of the things I say to uh, people that respond to the altar, like when we do our illustrated sermons and things like that, I always tell them, start reading the book of John. Why? Well, because the book of John is the gospel of belief. And you want them to build a foundation in him. So read John and then go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and read John again. And you're, what are you trying to do? You're trying to set up a foundation uh, of, of Christ and, and, and be strong. In fact, uh, I love what Paul said in Philippians 4.13. He said, I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength. So, again, the, fa- the phase is divided. You've overcome the evil one. Again, you're growing. You are strong. You're anchored in the truth. You're growing in your knowledge. And as you grow and as you read, you know, one of the things that you've heard me say before is in my office I've got a credenza that has, and I was sitting there the other day looking at it, and I thought, man, when I retire, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I have binders that are six inches uh, wide, I guess is what you would call it, that, you know, I used to, I, I preach now with an iPad, uh, one one reason is because I want to save the trees because my eyesight, I'd have to print the words like two words on a page. <laughs> and here I can actually enlarge it just by swiping my fingers. But I have probably, I have, I think 15 of those size binders full of sermons I've preached in the last 30 years. So I probably have several thousand, several thousand. And here's the thing, and, and I, please don't take this the wrong way. I hardly ever go back and look at them. I hardly ever go back and look at them. Not that there was anything wrong with them. But as I have aged, I have grown. And, and that's kind of what John is saying here is that there's a faith, that there would be something wrong if what I preach today is the same as what I was preaching 25 years ago. There'd be something wrong. And, and, and so uh, he said, you're strong, you're growing in the strength of the Lord, you're growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And the third thing he says is that the word of God lives in you. Again, the reason they're spiritually growing and that they can overcome the evil one is that they have a, they have a strong desire to know God's word. That's what helps them to grow. The word lives. It means to settle down and make its home in us. And that's a good thing. There are 7,487 positive promises of God in the Bible. How many of them do we anchor in? And do we know? I'm not saying you have to memorize all 7,487 of them. But, I mean, what are those things that you hang on to? You know, when the enemy comes in like a flood, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you combat that? How do you fight against that? When you go to the doctor and he says, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. How do you, where does that faith come from to say, you know what, hallelujah anyhow? It's by knowing the word. It's by having the word settled at home in us. That's why Psalm 119 9 and 11 says, ask the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's how powerful the word of God is. You know, Jesus, again, is our model for how to deal with the devil. Remember when he was tempted? What did he do? He used scripture. 
He used scripture. So we have the first phase, you know, had the spiritually young, then you have the spiritually growing, and then we come to the third phase, and that is the spiritually mature. It's a sad day when there are people that should be spiritually mature. You know, it'd be a really sad day if I looked down and Curly's got a bottle down here sucking on a bottle. Thank you for being a good sport. Let me pick on you, buddy. <laughs> it would be a sad day, you know, because that's not natural. You don't expect an, uh, an adult. I mean, if, if I'm barring anything going wrong, okay, you understand what I'm saying. It just, it's just not the way the process works. It's a sad day when we have spiritual people that have been around a long time that should be mature that still need. Isn't it what the Bible says? You ought to be. Well, see, the third, the third stage is for those who demonstrate a long walk. And basically, spiritually mature, what it means is a long walk in the same direction. In other words, I'm, I'm following him. I love the phrasing. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. You have known him. Spiritually mature people know God. They know God. That's one of the things I love about having elderly people. You know, they know God. And that's important. Is there anything better than, than, than knowing God? There, there are many people in the church, when their name comes up, you automatically think, the thing you think about is they know God. You know, you've heard me talk about a man that was in our church when I was a kid growing up. And I, uh, I don't remember much about those years, but I do remember this man, Brother Toby Dunn. I knew, I knew that he, did, he could not read or write. He did not have a middle school education. He worked the fields all of his life. But, man, that guy could pray. And when they asked Brother Toby to pray, you knew heaven was about to shake and everything around because that's who he was. So when, I heard his, when you hear his name, that's what you think of. It's a wonderful thing to be at a place where when your name comes up, people say, oh, yeah, they know God. Again, the idea is not just knowing information about God. It's having that relationship with him. They're seasoned. They're the ones that you go to for advice, guidance. Another thing he says is that they know God, not just about him, but they know him who is from the beginning. Now that speaks to, and basically what that is, is that that's a deep reverence. This speaks to his eternality, that God didn't just appear on the scene, he's been there, who is from the beginning. He's the creator. Everything that is made was made by him and for him. Uh, you know, and when you spend time like that with somebody, man, you get an appetite, you get an appetite when you sit with somebody that, um, I, when I was, uh, back in February, I was uh, invited to be one of the, uh, I think there was a hundred of us that gathered in Springfield at the world, the launching of the new World Prayer Center there in Springfield. And uh, one of the guys that spoke the second day um, was was a guy, in fact, I've got his book in my office, and he, he leads a prayer, a national prayer movement. When that guy got up and started preaching, or sharing, he didn't preach, but I sat there like a sponge and listened to this elder statesman of the faith start talking. And when his time ran out, I'm sitting there thinking, please, keep going, keep going. You know, there, there are people that you just sit there and you're like, man, I want more. That's the spiritually mature. So, so John lays out the process of maturity. We start out as young, spiritually young. You know, we don't know any better. That's why we have to be careful as a church. When people come in, uh, they may not know any better. They may have some habits that disrupt your peace. <laughs> they might do some things that upset you a little bit. That's okay. They're young, and they don't know. You know, I mean, my children did things that I thought was boneheaded when they were young, right? They didn't know any better. My grandchildren do things now. Uh, now I think it's funny as all get out, but when my kids did it, it wasn't funny, <laughs> you know? But as they grow, they, hopefully they quit doing that stuff. We got people, when they come into the church, they, they might have some hang-ups, and I might have some. I remember, I remember one time we were out at pastor school in, uh, in Phoenix with Pastor Barnett, and he was talking about when he went to Phoenix. When he went to the Phoenix, um, 
I don't know, 40 years ago, however long it was, there was 250 people in the church. The church runs about 17,000 people right now. And uh, the board had talked to him about um, strategies and things like that. And he said, I want you to buy me a bus. And they said, what for? And he said, well, they're pe-. he said, we're not, we're, if you're going to build a church, he said, there's people out there. You just got to go get them. And he said, give me a bus. And then one of the objections was, well, what kind of people are we going to be bringing in? And, you know, he said, I can remember the first time we brought in a busload from Skid Row. And he said, one of the deacons come running to me. He said, Pastor, come here. Look at the bathroom. Look what they wrote on the walls. And they're just aghast at some of the words that was on the wall. What are we going to do about it? He said, get a can of paint. <laughs> get a can of paint. They don't know any better. And, I, again, spiritually young, spiritually growing. You get them in discipleship. You start teaching them. Listen, Holy Spirit does a good job. How many of you can look back over your life and see that there were things that you used to do that you don't do anymore because the Holy Spirit cleans you out? So that's the spiritually growing. Then you get to the spiritually mature side where now you can start giving guidance to those coming up. That's helpful. So, so John goes through that. After he does that, he now gives some words of exhortation. He gives some encouragement. And, and not only does he do that, but now he starts pointing out some of the dangers of living in the world. Now, we're talking about the world. We're not talking about, for God so loved the world, uh, I mean, we're not talking about the cosmos. We're talking about the world, the system of the world. And so John points out some of the dangers. See, not only do we, as we live in the world, remember, we're in the world but not of the world. As we live in the world, not only do we battle our own fleshly desires, but we have to be prepared to fight the devil and guard against things of the world because they're things of the world that are not, that are not cool. It, actually, they're <laughs> quite the opposite. You know, and, and an example of this, how many's ever heard, how many's ever heard the name Damas or Demas? Here's what Paul said about him. 2 Timothy 4 said, For Damas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Early on, he was called a faithful servant. And now Paul says, He has deserted me because he loved this world. I love how A.W. Tozer, (laughs) he wrote it, and I like this. He said, every man is as close to God as he wants to be. He is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wills to be. Now, I I like that. Now, some people might push back against that, but I think, look, we, we can be close to God if we want to, and a lot of it's up to us. Amen? What did he say? Draw nigh unto me. And I'll draw nigh unto you. And they say, well, why do I have to make the first move? You didn't. The only way you can draw nigh to him is through Christ who already made the move. He made it possible. So there are things that we have to do. It's our responsibility. See, when we grow with God, we avoid embracing things of this world. And so as we get into the second part of this writing tonight, verses 15 through 17, let's kind of break that down one at a time. First of all, again, it it, it depends on me. If I want to get closer to God, if I want to grow to that level of maturity, number one, I've got to choose what I love. I've got to choose what I love. Verse 15 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the tense that he uses there indicates that this is something that was already going on. So what Paul, what John, Paul, what John is doing He's really saying something like this. Don't be loving on the world. That's kind of what it means. Don't be, in, in, in just accurate translate, don't be loving the world. Right now, don't be loving the world. It's, it's an either-or proposition, much like what Jesus said in, in, in Luke chapter 16. No man, he said, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. It's a big deal to God because the world is not simply a passive entity, but it is a rival for our affections and our allegiance. Did you see that? It's not not a passive system. It's an active rival. 
you know, it, it saddens me today in our culture when so much good has been done in the name of Christ in, the la- in, in this country that now we're somehow labeled as terrorists and bigots and intolerant and expendable because we can't get with the program. It, 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 it blows my mind. But that's where we are. It's a rival system. It says, you, you know what? If you want to live that type of lifestyle, God understands. That's where we are. Obviously, he doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy the beauty of our world because I think God made it for us to enjoy. John uses the word world to refer to this evil organized system that's under control of Satan himself. John, 1 John five nineteen, he said, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We are children of God in the whole world. And, and, and again, that's the antidote to being overly anxious about what we see happening in the nightly news. Does it bother me? Yes. Does it perturb me, frustrate me, anger me? Absolutely. But I don't, get, uh, I don't become unduly upset because the world is under the control of the evil one. Stephen Cole wrote this, worldliness is at its core a matter of the heart. If your heart is captured by the world, you will love the things of the world. If your heart is captured by the love of God, you will be drawn to him and the things of God. So again, if if it's my responsibility, I've got to choose what I love. Number two, I've got to control myself. Boy, there's a, a novel idea. Control, verse 16, everything's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Three categories, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. One translation calls it the cravings of sinful man. Notice that, cravings, it's the same, it's the same word as, as lust. Uh, and it, what it means is an intense and an ordinate impulse that comes from within. Lust of the flesh. Instead of doing whatever we want and fulfilling every desire that we have, we're to live under control. Live under control. One, put, one pastor put it like this. I wrote this down. I can admire, but I don't have to acquire. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes, that's leaning towards covetousness, right? It refers to a strong desire to, particularly relating to greed or covetousness. I tell you, every time I go to Cedar Creek to fish, I have to get off the lake and repent because I see these big, massive houses there on the lake, and I'm like, wow, (laughs) that would be so nice. You've been there, it would be nice. Living right there on that water. So first thing I do when I get in the car, oh, God, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> lust of the eyes. You know, one, one test one test to see if you're struggling with the lust of the eyes is to ask yourself, what do you enjoy looking at? What do you enjoy looking at? Again, lust, lust of the eyes can come in many, many varieties. Some people are bound sexually with lust of the eyes. Some people, again, are bound with greed, and they lust longingly for somebody else's stuff. They covet other people's stuff. I like what Job said in Job 31.1. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at any young maiden. I made a covenant with my eyes not to let lust be a part of that. And then you had the pride of life. The third part is pride of life. And, and, and you've heard me say this for years that, you know, the church has done fairly well in dealing with the first two categories of sin, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Why? Because lust makes me feel dirty. If, you, if, you're, if you've ever been a believer, ever been born again, and you start dealing with lust, bad and lust, it makes you feel unclean, dirty. But we've not been good at dealing with the pride of life because lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes pull you down, pride lifts you up. And what a euphoric feeling that is. We, we, we like to feel good. <laughs> we like to feel important. Kids get in, and it starts young. Kids get in trouble at school. First thing they say is, you know who my daddy is? Right? 
get stopped on the side of the road, speeding, you say something like, well, you know what, hang on, let me call the chief. Right? It makes me, it makes me feel important. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. See, flesh and lust of the eyes refer to what we do not have. Boasting, uh, pride refers to what we do have. So, so you can take the pride in, in your stature or your status or what you have. Boasting about what you do and the money you spend and all of that kind of stuff. John said, hey, knock that stuff off. Knock that stuff off. Do you think too highly of yourself? Do you find yourself bragging about what you have and what you've done and how superior you are to other people? Be careful. Years ago, somebody made this comment to me, and I'll just say it here. Um, if you've ever noticed in preaching, I never say you people or you. I say we. I, I never say you ought to do that. I say we ought to do that. Because years ago, many years ago, when I first started out in ministry, you know, I, I came from a very prideful stance. I was, again, I was a baseball player, popular in school, um, and I had an issue. And God had to bring me down notches, and he did. <laughs> he did. In fact, probably sent me the opposite direction. And now, whenever I, whenever I sense the arrogance of people, it drives me and it, it, it just gets, you know, what I'm, anybody know what I'm talking about? It just like crawls over me. And it's detestable. It, it detests me because that's a, that's a loathsome sin because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel good. John said, knock it off. Another thing he tells us to do, we need to keep our eyes on eternity. Again, if I'm going to grow, I need to keep my eyes on eternity. Verse 17 said, the world and its desires are what? Passing away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Again, everything, the worldly desires, worldly pleasures, all of these things are disintegrated. Everything here is transitory. There's nothing that we have on this planet right now that is permanent. And the quicker we learn that, I think the easier it is to deal with some of these sinful things. You know, today it seems like some people are just rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. This ship's not, this ship's not going to keep sailing it's going to go down because the Bible's already declared what's going to take place. You see, the best way to keep from loving the world, you know what it is? It's to love God more fully. It's to love God more fully. Those who do the will of God by believing in Jesus Christ, live in the way that he wants, he, what does Jesus say? You'll live forever. He who does the will of the Father lives forever. Those who hitch their wagons to the world will pass away with everything in the world. Again, it's true that we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. So John is combating, again, these false doctrines and reminding them that they can have confidence in their faith. And I love this passage of Scripture. There are a few lessons, I think, that we can glean from it uh, as, as we start bringing this thing down. We're, we're in our cruising altitude. Let's start coming down for the land. Here's some things we can learn. Number one, and this is important, we're all on the same team, but we're all at different spiritual stages. We're all on the same team, but we're at different stages, maturity. Well, you know, when we look across the church on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, everybody here is at a different level. If they're born again, they're at a different phase. They're, some of them are new, some are growing, some are mature. We're all at different levels. Um, and, and so John, when he writes, he finds something positive about each group of people um, because each group manifests part of Christ's character. All of us are walking in the light. Some have just been walking longer than others. So we need to recognize the differences. We need to recognize the maturity. I, you know, how many times, you know, down through the years have we fussed about somebody not understanding that they're new in Christ? Again, we have to be careful about that because some people don't know any better. But as the Spirit of God works on them, they know we're on the same team, different levels spiritually. Number two, we need each other. We need each other. I like what Peter said in Acts chapter 2. said that God would pour out his Spirit in the last day. And one of the things he said about that is he said, your young men 
will see visions and your old men will do what? Dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. What I would say is let's allow young people to have visions, to share the vision. Let's, let's sit with our elders to dream about what God wants to do or what God is doing. Some of you, I don't know, I don't think she would mind me saying this. Sister Mercer, Mary, last week we do our praying with the pastor on Tuesday. And at the end of our prayer, she said, I just feel like God wants me to share that, that he's raising up this body at this time to be a house of prayer where he will restore the works of the former years. And I thought, wow, you know, that just, that kind of resonated with me because for 30 years I've had, there have been people that have come through that have said, you know, God has said there's something going to happen here that you can't even imagine. Whether it's in my lifetime or not, I don't know, but I, I believe God's got something really, really, really good going on. So we need to encourage our youth, our young, spiritually young people, growing people to, to dream and to have visions. Our elders that have been on the path for a long time, they need to keep dreaming, dreaming of the possibilities. I think that's a good thing. This is how God designed it to be. We need each other. Again, no matter what age, what stage we are right now, we do have a responsibility to grow, and to grow, we need to take each other with us. We need to keep growing. Some of you might remember a few years ago, we started a ministry called Two Hearts. It may have been 2015, 2014, I don't remember now. And the, and, and the premise behind it, I'm, I'm a family guy. I love the family. I believe strongly in the family. So what I did was I asked for elder, uh, older families that have been married. I think we asked for couples that have been married over 25 years that would take on mentoring younger couples <coughs> that might be going through difficult things. And we had several that responded, and we got several couples that were connected. And it was amazing. It was amazing how God used that ministry to help young couples because, you know, it's, it's very helpful to sit down with somebody that has already gone through it. And, and again, it's not one of those been there, done that, got the T-shirt. It's the fact that, hey, God brought us through, God can bring you through. And sometimes when you go through things, you feel like you're the only one going through it. You feel like nobody's ever done it before. Everybody, nobody's ever had that experience. And then all of a sudden you find people that have gone through the same deep, dark valley that you're going through. We need each other. I think another lesson that we learn in this is we need to avoid, the, for lack of a better word, ageism. Ageism. What does that mean? We can't be prejudiced about ages. I'll be honest with you. When I started pastoring here, there was a, I don't know if it's still going on now because I don't really follow that kind of stuff, but early on in ministry, you know, I would read a lot of church growth material, and one of the consensus back, you know, in the 90s was that if you were a new pastor when you went into a church and you needed to make changes, the idea was go ahead and flip the card upside down let everything fall out, let all the apples fall out, pick out the bad apples and start rebuilding everything else. And I thought, that's the oddest thing I'd ever, I'd ever heard. Why would I want to go in and disrupt unity? Why would I want to go in? And, and, and again, it had to do with we ain't ever done it like that before, you know, that mindset of, of ageism, that, well, the church has got to get younger, church has got to do this, and I fought against that from day one. I just... I, there's no place for that. I think, again, you look at all these, these stages that John, uh, that John notes, every single one of them are vital to the health and well-being of the church. There's not one level that's more important than the other. Now, I think that in the mature phase, the spiritually mature would say, you know, I remember we did a concert one time, and uh, the guy that was coming in, um, some of you might remember Jeff Finholt. Jeff Finholt had... Uh, for a period of time, a short period of time, was the lead singer for Black Sabbath, which was a, uh, an 80s rock band. Uh, he had gotten saved, and so he came and did a concert. And at that concert that night, there was a couple of our elderly people that were here. And I went to them because I was surprised. And I went to them, and I said, I didn't expect to see you here. And they said, you see that? You see down there on the front row? See that? That's my, that's my grandson. That's my granddaughter. I'm here for them, not for him. <laughs> and I thought, wow, isn't that, isn't that a cool way to look at things? 
I'm supporting them. They like this. They want to be here, and I want them to get all that God has for them. Again, we can't get hung up on the ages. You know, so to the younger, what I would say, treat the older people with respect and honor. Again, you've heard me say this for years. I I hate the way in America we treat our elderly people. No other place on earth that I am familiar with treats the elder like we do here. We put them in a nursing home. We put them in a home somewhere, and we forget about them. Go by and visit once or twice a month or a year, whatever it may be. That's wrong. It's wrong. Other parts of the world, they are looked at as vast resources of wisdom because they live. Listen, if you get to be 80, 90 years old, you've lived. You've lived through some tough stuff. You've got some great wisdom. So to the younger, you know what? Seek out somebody that you trust. Look at that. Tap into that wisdom that God has placed. Move toward them. Again, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Paul said, Brothers, stop thinking like children in regard to evil. Be, uh, stop thinking like children in regard to evil. Be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. To the older, here's what I would say. To the elders, look for ways to train the next generation. Here's the thing. They're going to be different than you. They're going to like things different than you. They're going to have a different approach than you. I was meeting with some young pastors not long ago, and I came back and I said, I said to Brent, I said, they talked a language I didn't understand. I've been, I've been a minister over 30 years, and I'm like, they're talking a language I don't know. I mean, I know the ABCs of ministry, and they're talking about X, Y formula this, and I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Listen, don't, don't automatically assume that the younger generation are not spiritually minded because they don't worship like you do. That's important. That's important. I'm going to close. Well, I, I like this one. Let me put it. Th- I like this one. Proverbs 14.4. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean. That's pretty good. If you don't have loud, messy kids over there, I mean, think about it. I love seeing, I, I know they get, some, they get rambunctious, and, you know, if you go in there on a Wednesday night, you better have a hard hat on, I'm telling you, because they will bop you in the head. You know, they, they don't mean to. They're just kids playing. Be careful about jumping on their case. You know what? We'll, we'll, we'll make a, try to make it where people are safe. We do anyway, but I love seeing kids over there. I love seeing kids run, run to the gym. I love seeing, I, I just, I think it's, it's vitality to my soul to see children. That's why we invest in our children's ministry. We're, we, uh, I, I believe God's got, I believe the next revival coming is going to be through our children and our youth. I, I just believe that. You know, so as young young person, wherever you are, I, I know they're all over there. So uh, treat our elderly with respect. Older people, don't assume the younger people are not spiritually minded because they're, they worship different. Um, I, I, I just quit trying to learn who they are. Uh, to the spiritually young, I would say don't stop growing. To those spiritually growing, I would say keep growing. Keep your hunger for the word. To the spiritually mature, I would say don't settle for just information. Continue to ask God to bring transformation as long as you have breath to live and to breathe. Would you stand with me <coughs> tonight? I think I want to leave this one last scripture, Hebrews 3.13. He said, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Again, John is writing again as a, as a, as a, a tender elder statesman of the faith. And he says, I'm writing to you in your stages of growth. Keep growing. And don't get caught up loving the things of this world because that's not the love of God. If you will do the will of the Father, you'll live forever. We need each other. We need every phase. We need every, every level of, of spiritual maturation. We need every single one of those in the body that makes us healthy, that makes us strong, that makes us a vessel that God can use in a dark culture. Amen? Amen. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight? And 
I just want to ask two things. One thing, number one, if you're here tonight, say, you know, Pastor, I want to, I want to keep growing. You, know, you talk about those three levels, those three stages of growth. You know, you may have identified, you might, you might have already identified where you are. Uh, no matter where you are, keep growing. And maybe you're here say, you know what, Pastor, I want to keep growing. I don't want, I don't want to just accumulate information. Listen, I know a lot of people that, that read the Bible just for knowledge, just for accumulating knowledge, not any transformation. And they really get excited when they can go share their knowledge with somebody else, but their lifestyle doesn't back up anything. Faith without works is dead. Sometimes we've got to put the word to action. So maybe you say, you know, Pastor, I want to keep growing. The second thing is maybe you say, Pastor, you know what, I just, I just need God to step in this week on some things. If that's you in any one of those areas, just lift your hand right, right back down. I'm going to pray with you. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Father, tonight I love you so much, and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, across this body of believers, Lord, across this campus tonight, there are believers in varying levels of maturity. And, Lord, I celebrate that and rejoice in that. Lord, I pray that you would create in us a hunger and a desire not to just know about you, but to know you. Lord, to know you intimately, to have that relationship with you that anchors us. Lord, the antidote to loving the world is to love you more. And I pray for each and every one of us here today, Lord, that we would love you more, that we would more fully seek after you and and more hungrily uh, uh, pursue you, Father. I pray, God, that you would satisfy the, the deepest cravings of our heart and our soul. Father, I pray for those tonight that just need an intervention tonight in some areas of their life. Lord, maybe it's just an encouragement. Maybe it's just a reminder that, Lord, you see them and that they're enough. Lord, I pray that you would do that tonight, that, God, you would uphold us with your powerful right hand, according to Isaiah 41, that you, Lord, would just empower us, uh, Lord, to know that we are anchored in who you are and that, Lord, our status has nothing to do with how the world looks at us. It has everything to do with who we are in you. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen us in our faith. Go with us tonight. I pray, give us a wonderful, restful night. Should you tarry, bring us on Sunday. Bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Lord, that need an encounter with you. And even now, ordain what you're going to do. Lord, I love and I bless uh, each one here tonight in Jesus' powerful name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.